Listening to the number one source for Michigan sports, WCBN 88.3 FM Ann Arbor. If you are an undergraduate who would like to get involved with the sports department, email us at sports at WCBN.org. party once, you know, in the cemented park out in front of the Ewan building. You know, and I got drugs, so I split. Then I walked over to 2nd Avenue and 40th, and, uh, and I went to this little restaurant, you know, in Needix or Rikers or something. Denver. And, I, and I, I ordered a bowl of jello, you know, with milk, raspberry. I mean, raspberry jello. And, and it was great, so I ordered another bowl. But halfway through my third bowl of raspberry jello, I realized that if I ordered another bowl, the counterman would call the cops, you know. There's this nut eating jello, looks funny to me, better come over and pick him up. You know, so I split, you know, I got in the wind very carefully. So uh, I get out and I go out to 42nd Street to a Rudley's and I have another bowl of jello, same kind. And man, I want to tell you, I worked my way uh, up to 68th Street eating jello, driven, driven by hunger and paranoia. You know, because uh, life, life is not without its hazards, man, you know what I mean? WCBN-FM Ann Arbor, running on hunger and paranoia. Well, it's a little after 6.30 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, and welcome to another edition of Gray Matters, the weekly news and media talk show. My name is Dick Whaley. Uh, I'm Jim Dwyer, uh, proudly Jell-O-free for seven days now. Jell-O, that famous <laughs> concoction from the 60s that... Uh, yeah, always a strange <laughs> substance at potlucks. <laughs> I was raised as a Unitarian. Throw some fruit in it. They always have potlucks. And you always kind of wondered about the uh, fruit pieces in the Jello, but it's a pleasant dessert, and it's low-calorie and nice and cool. There's something <laughs> strange about it, but <laughs> Jello shots, I'm sure, were had by many at the football game. <laughs> Uh, we won't no talk doubt. about that. We'll just give out a brain damage award for people that are threatening the punter. Look, professional athletes make these kinds of mistakes. I don't know whether he forgot the rules. It doesn't matter. It's only a game, and uh, obviously it's sort of a heartbreaker for Michigan fans because we've had so many heartbreaks over the years, so many unbelievable plays. Oh, and they led for plays. the entire game, basically. But so. uh, bottom line... Uh, Michigan State really outplayed Michigan in the second half, and Michigan was only in the game because of special teams. So it's just uh, the way the world works. Well, and you can be sure that nobody feels worse about it than the dude who it happened yeah. to. I mean, uh, the the pressure of the situation is truly unimaginable for any fan. When I heard um, it on the radio, I thought, oh, no, it's the Garrow Your Premium play all over again because I noticed he uh, 
He died earlier this year, and he, of course, had one of the most famous botched plays in, in the history of football that's actually one of those comic videos now called uh, Gero Upremium <laughs> Made Seven Mistakes on This Play. Here they are, <laughs> and they show it, and it's uh, it's absolutely funny. Hilarious. But anyway, uh, Michigan didn't fall that far in the polls, and State didn't go up much in the polls, if at all. So you move on. It's It's, it's a game. It's a game, and it's sad that it uh, that it ended that way. But it's it's also bizarre that the guy that scored the touchdown is out for the season now because dislocated hip. Or... Yeah, I don't know whether he got pounded by his own teammates in the end zone, but kind of sounds like it to me. So we'll give a brain damage award out to people making threats on the internet uh, against uh, Mr. O'Neill. Let's uh, hope the authorities round those people up and toss them in. A bowl of jello. <laughs> uh, interesting week in the news, obviously. We get the uh, presidential debate uh, is, uh, is over and done with. Uh, kind of uh, ridiculous that the media would keep talking about a winner of the debate. Um, I think it was pretty clear what happened in the debate. Uh, both Bernie Sanders and Hillary Clinton were quite effective at what they do. And... Uh, it's kind of interesting how with Hillary, she, she obviously had a strong performance, but even when she has a strong performance, then the criticism becomes, oh, she's just being a politician. She's too smooth. She's too smarmy. And she was polished and very effective. And I thought Bernie had a, had a very good debate. I don't think there's any question that Lincoln Chafee isn't going to be in the race much longer. Uh Kind of unfortunate, in my opinion, that some of the 2015 real big issues are just being ignored. I would really start asking questions about the future of work, the effect of robots and technology on what's really going on in the global economy, rather than these sort of old, tired debates about free trade. No questions about the water situation out west. Uh, or in uh, Flint. Sustainable development, yeah. Uh, so it'd be nice to and, and human migration. What's how is that really affecting uh, things around the globe? Because it is a major, major issue in 2015. So I hope that the future debates are a little better in terms of the uh, quality of the questions. And uh, well, the next Republican debate is scheduled to be in Boulder, Colorado. Yeah. Uh, sort of a democratic enclave um they're already carving out a no no free speech zone and protest clowns right. are not allowed uh, why allow them even on the stage <laughs> <laughs> uh, of course well, why have it in boulder if you don't want to uh endure a few protest clowns you know bernie got most of the uh, actual uh Lines going forward, you know, I thought his uh, defense of Hillary Clinton in the email <laughs> was typical Bernie Sanders. It was effective. He was cranky, <laughs> angry, all at the same time. Uh, obviously, for Hillary Clinton, it's going to come down to the uh, hearings later in the week. But I don't think she's going to choke. Once again, she's very experienced at these hearings I think she's testified before Congress something like 25 times, 28 That's times. Numerous, numerous times, yeah. And 
you know, the soundbite coming out of the the debate about the emails um, from Bernie Sanders, of all people, um, I, I think has, has raised a lot of questions about the whole mission of the Benghazi panel. And that may end up being the controversy that doesn't go away for the uh, Republican Party. Just real quickly on Bernie. Uh, Democratic Socialism is uh, a statement that he made, I think, in an interview uh, before the debates. Uh, It was brought up sort of peripherally, uh, elliptically during the debates. And he might definitely have a problem explaining that concept to the American people because that's sort of a pejorative propaganda concept that he probably is going to have to come up with some effective explanations for what it's really about. Or just a rephrasing. Yeah. A rebranding, if you will. Norway and Denmark, of course, are great countries, but in no way, shape, or form do they resemble the complexity of the United States. These are small population countries with very homogenous people. I looked up in the World Almanac and discovered, kind of to my surprise that uh, Denmark is 97% Lutheran, uh, Norway is 94% Lutheran. It's actually called the state church. So these are very different societies. Norway, of course, uh, actually has the highest per capita income in the world, but it's because of oil exportation. And Denmark is... And also a a relatively small... Population. Yeah, I mean, it, it's relative it, to it, it's remarkable. Any given state in the that, United States. Um, I was looking at some old numbers, so I sort of said, okay, it's probably got more than 5 million people now. It's about the size of New Mexico, according to the World Almanac. But it, uh, Oslo, the capital, doesn't even have uh, 500,000 people. Of course, that was from the 90s. It's probably up to 600,000 by, by this point. But remember that the entire population of Norway is less than the entire greater population of Detroit, you know, southeast Michigan, if you look it up in the in the census. Um, so well, it's, it's these not, are very different countries. But it's also true that it's not that hard to point at certain aspects of society that are, in, in essence, socialism, and it's easy to see how they truly do work and benefit all, like, Traffic, roads, you know, um, just basic schooling. Yeah, and they have very high uh, state taxes. In fact, Finland, by the way, uh, n- near Norway, is uh, has uh, is now sort of scoring number one in educational standards yeah. uh, for the very simple reason that their teachers are very highly paid and they have a very, very high ratio of teachers to students. The more would, money you put into education, the better that is for every aspect of society. So it would be absolutely wonderful to the emulate way to spend. Yeah, some of the great aspects of these uh, nation states in the, in the Scandinavian countries where possible. One other interesting thing about Denmark, by the way, is they have a very kind of uh, artisan-style economy. It's very small scale. There's a lot of small farmers still. They, they're one of their number one industries is actually food processing. Hmm. So you think of cheese, mm-hmm. 
Danish ham, you know, whatever. It's that kind of a country. And uh, trying to make comparisons, um, which Sanders did at one point, I think are um, troubling. Well, troublesome, I guess, is, is a better word. Well, of course, then there's also the aspect of military spending that is socialism in this country, essentially. Yeah. How, how the the people bear the burden of the research and development costs of the corporations that will then make billions of dollars selling these things to the U.S. government. And, of course, this, these Scandinavian countries have very high tax rates, but people accept that as part of a civilized society. Um, American corporations, which uh, have very effectively abused the tax code, as we've seen uh, amazingly, from congressional hearings, <laughs> um, that that even Paul Ryan has sort of uh, sort of gotten to the edge of. Carl Levin, the former senator from Michigan, was very good in this department. Uh, these are not problems with the Scandinavian corporations, quote unquote, because there's a social cohesion within their societies that make. Uh, the debate about taxes sort of uh, kind of like a debate about Danish ham. <laughs> Not all that contentious or interesting at the end of the day. One of the more interesting questions, and I'm going to give a brain damage award out to CNN for ending the debate with a kind of silly throwaway question about recreational marijuana. I don't know if you caught that, but... Um, no. Bernie and Hillary were the only ones that had time to answer it. And, of course, what it was, unfortunately, this is not a presidential issue. There have been several Western states that have legalized recreational marijuana. They'll probably talk about it in Boulder. They probably will, since that's one of them. But let's remember that this is a pejorative used as part of the culture wars mm -hmm. that you're going to hear more from the GOP, you can count on it. Um, they basically, I guess, identified the fact that Bernie had, quote, used marijuana on a couple of occasions and, quote, it didn't work for you, as Anderson Cooper put it. Hillary, of course, denied ever smoking. Um but was open-minded about, quote-unquote, medical marijuana, but yes. was opposed to recreational marijuana. Of course, they have to say that in this right. context. And I mean, I've seen the Rolling Stones Shine a Light movie that Scorsese shot. Uh, Bill and Hillary backstage meeting the Stones. Bill Clinton meeting Keith Richards. The look on his face, it's pretty clear. He inhaled. So. Yeah. And, of course, his blunder... People do go to college. There was using the word inhale. He right, should have said, right. Dude, I didn't toke. <laughs> so uh, I'll be amazed if we see uh, much more of uh, Lincoln Chafee. Uh, Martin O'Malley might have earned himself another round. I don't know. Jim Webb seemed sort of lost. I was somewhat puzzled by his claim that the greatest threat to America was China because he was talking about possibly intervening militarily in the 
South China Sea? Oh, there's a good idea. Yeah. Paging John McCain. Weird. Of course, uh, he had served in the Reagan administration as uh, Secretary of Navy. Hmm. And, of course, he assured us that <clears throat> I'm the, the most prepared to be your commander-in-chief. Did you see the debate? No. <laughs> well, I only heard about two-thirds of it. I missed the beginning. The part about the guns, kind of interesting uh, contrast there. And to Hillary's credit... Uh, just because I agree with her on this particular issue, maybe she's going to be the only candidate that actually carries the torch forward on this issue. Uh, this is pers- it's certainly one that people are afraid to talk about, politicians, that is. Yeah, and of course she had her facts down and just that and the other. Bernie may have to uh, go back to some forms of explanation about this, but I think that it, it's just remarkable how these shootings continue. I don't know if you heard over the weekend, but I think we've crossed a new barrier. There was a shooting in the hospital. Yes. Yeah. In uh, Minnesota. Unbelievable. Domestic uh, abuse case. Guy injured in the, uh, the the hospital. People wanted an unarmed guard there. And he was overpowered and killed with the gun, which the, made no one safer. The gun that he had. Exactly. So once again, we have this kind of fairy tale about that's being promoted in in opposition to any rational gun control related to mentally challenged people. Another story from the weekend about a father who's uh, in big trouble because his six-year-old shot his, shot his <laughs> three-year-old with an illegal weapon. Yeah. <clears throat> Bought on the street. Crazy. Or there's a number of ways you can buy them illegally. But uh, but I mean, it, it, it really has reached a point, uh, to paraphrase uh, some of the gun control advocates, where certain guns nobody should have and certain people should have absolutely no guns, period. Those seem like very basic and simple precepts on which to operate. And I've been mentioning for a couple of years now, if you go grocery shopping or if you're in a book or a magazine store, uh, look at the uh, the the numbers of of gun magazines. It's really munitions porn, because a lot of these big flashy survivalist type uh, gun magazines are their their cover stories are all promoting the uh, many lovely qualities of assault weapons, things that no sportsman would use, no hunter would use. These are things that commandos would use. Mm-hmm. Uh, and why you know if you want to read about these things, that's perfectly. Fine, but why would anybody need to have one of those in their house? Yeah, I mean, it's just, you know, not realistic anymore is what the NRA stands for to me. And uh, it's unfortunate that, quite frankly, nothing is going to happen. Well, and I think that they need to be called the NRMA because it's the National Rifles Manufacturers Association. Uh, That's where most of their money's come from, not individual gun owner members, but merchants and manufacturers and interesting by the way that uh, there was a court case and i am forgetting the actual state of course this is going to be appealed but uh um gun manufacturers were held responsible libel in uh 
the death of uh, some victims of gun violence, um, and that might be the way to go uh, some some way, somehow. But I think that rational background checks, waiting periods, and more thorough backing check background checks, and an end of this private sales loophole where no background checks are permitted or required whatsoever. The other legal loophole, since loopholes are usually worked uh, to the detriment of society, uh, is that the Second Amendment says nothing about ammunition. And you mentioned Senator Carl Levin earlier. This was another great line from him is, doesn't say anything about the bullets. Now, obviously, people can make their own bullets. I had a friend who was a hunter uh, back in high school who did. Uh, but it's a slow, laborious uh, process, and it renders each shot that you fire that much more valuable because it's used up with your time. And uh, let's recall, by the way, that when the Second why not Amendment— tax the hell out of the bullets? Exactly. And when the Second Amendment was written, uh, you know, with the muskets and the sort of the crude— Single loads. Crude handguns that they had, it took about 90 seconds to get off one round. Guns were actually dangerous products. Because uh, you, you pretty much had to make your own gunpowder. You had to mix it yourself. Right. And, and if you didn't clean and maintain your weapon, it could go off on you. This was not a common item in the households of our founding fathers and mothers and children and whatnot. It was a rare product. And in fact, if you actually study the history of warfare, even back then, warfare was mainly hand-to-hand -hand combat. Mm. It was mainly bayonets. It was the Michigan-Michigan State football game. Uh, our engineer this evening, Tex Mannheim, actually played a rather amusing thing the other day on the Down Home Show, which he was hosting. The Andy Griffith... Uh, oh, what it was was football. ...commentary about football. And, and it was kind of uh, funny uh, thinking about how uh, the old style of warfare probably resembled yeah. football to some degree. Um, Canadian elections coming up. Uh, Today. Tonight. And by the way, one of the credits to Canada is that they uh, hand count every vote, <laughs> double hand count it, and they have the results in uh, usually in about five hours. Their elections are very effectively monitored, professionally held, uh, Canada, of course, has a uh, a three-party system, so it's a very interesting what might happen. But I thought one of the more interesting stories of last week period was the fact that the Alberta tar sands may well be closed down due to the high cost of energy production there. Well, uh, as oil prices have fallen, the uh, cost efficiency of that very dirty process yeah. uh, is just rendered too expensive. Precisely. And it's very interesting that Harper, uh, Stephen Harper, is sort of in a little bit of trouble. He called these elections, um, probably thinking he could kind of sneak one past the voters. The conservatives in Canada have frequently, you know, sort of controlled the government with very low pluralities because of how the vote gets split up. Mm -hmm. But I think that it's unfortunate that one of the last big issues in this campaign turned out to be the whole debate about the niqab and the citizenship 
swearing-in ceremony of one, one or two individuals. And it's just kind of unfortunate that it sort of degenerated back into a, a, a sort of the superficiality of American elections mm-hmm. and these sort of soundbite, uh, uh, hyperbole uh, situations uh, involving certain issues. So... Uh, if you get Channel 9 on your local television or have cable, uh, check it out. Uh, very interesting to sometimes watch uh, the television coverage of the Canadian elections. Well, if Justin Trudeau's Liberal Party wins, uh, you'll probably see added um, interest and emphasis on the Canadian part to get more bridges like the second bridge they've been trying so desperately to get in Detroit. Yeah. Uh, to increase and improve uh, infrastructure connections between these two major trading partners, the U.S. and Canada. Of course, Michigan being right there at the... We're so far north, we're north of parts of Canada. Yeah, and if we're going to have all these idling trucks uh, waiting to get across the bridge, because they certainly can't go through the tunnel... Um, Raising the gas tax would actually generate revenue for the state of Michigan. But no signs of that in the Michigan State Legislature. Because taxes are satanic. No, instead they're debating whether or not to permit guns in schools. (laughs) Talk about insane. Uh, The Benghazi story will probably be, I think, not over and done with next week, but uh, certainly I think Hillary Clinton, my prediction is Biden is waiting for that event. And I think we might know by Friday, but I don't think Joe Biden is getting in the race. I don't think so either. It's just simply too late. And uh, she's got too much of a war chest and she's not going to screw up in these debates. This is about the strength of the of of the candidates. Bernie clearly has the campaign edge on her. The rallies continue to be big. I think he is focused very effectively on his message. That's good, though, because, I mean, you you want a multiplicity of of, uh, platforms so that you can bridge some sort of coalition within a party. But Jim Webb and Lincoln Chafee and Martin O'Malley don't have enough support I doubt it for Biden to get lots of defectors from those camps uh, so I'll be absolutely amazed if he gets into into the presidential race it's just simply too late uh, one of the reasons by the way that Scott Walker had to exit so quickly was he got in too late hmm. and Jim Webb probably made the same mistake um, he allowed Bernie Sanders to get the momentum as the so-called anti-Hillary candidate. And as for the Benghazi story, that's just starting to blow up on the Republicans. A thorough fact invest, fact-finding fact investigation into Benghazi, by the way, would involve a re-examination not only of Pan Am 103 and that whole event, that tragic event, but the Ronald Reagan bombing of Benghazi that occurred in April of 1986. I doubt that uh, that's forthcoming. Yeah, let's see those uh, emails and classified documents, if that's what this is all coming down to. Um, The email scandal is sort of percolating on on a side burner, but I I just haven't seen anything all that 
relevant, yet this got anything to do with Benghazi. Let's also remember that the, the funny thing about the impetus of this whole investigation is strange. Initially, they used the Benghazi event to derail Susan Rice as the Secretary of State nominee that Barack Obama had made because she was the one that went on the Sunday talk shows to give the talking points that the CIA and NSA had given her to say mm -hmm. because the dirty truth about the Benghazi attack was that this was a quote-unquote diplomatic compound that was used by the CIA. Right. So I'm a little unclear what Hillary Clinton's even accountability in all of this is. Um, it's not, I'm, I'm not seeing it. It was just not there. I mean, this was a tragic event. Obviously, security was inadequate for the situation, but um, I don't think the United States in general anticipated any of these problems from the so-called Arab Spring. The overthrow of Gaddafi has created a civil war in Libya. This is not as bad or detrimental as Syria, but it's similar. And uh, the uh, Middle East is just a... A time zone, <laughs> there's probably 11 of them, that we have not quite mastered. Well, in every attempt to do so or claim that it has been mastered um, is a resolute failure, um, a failure with deep and lasting repercussions. Um, Bush, as a candidate, is never going to be able to shake the responsibility that his brother bears mm -hmm. for uh, creating this situation in which the huge swath of the earth has been destabilized, uh, the refugee crisis that's coming out of it. Um, it, it could not be uh, more cataclysmic unless, you know, atomic weapons had been uh, released. Oh, but that's right. There were no weapons of mass destruction. So... Uh, uh, one of the greatest mistakes in American history. And completely absent, uh, by the way, as an issue in the Republican presidential debates. Um, I don't know why this issue is just being evaded completely, because Lincoln Chafee's only moment in the debate, and I think he was, you know, Hillary gave a safe answer about nuclear proliferation, but he said it was the chaos in the Middle East that was the greatest threat to America. I don't think it's a great threat to America, but it's certainly Islamic fundamentalism and the whole problems resulting from all of these proxy and civil wars that are on occurring in Syria, Iraq, Yemen, Libya. It's it's it, Bahrain. It's it's and Afghanistan is obviously still uh, uh, muckety muck. The troops are staying now. It's a token uh, troop uh, presence by the United States, but uh, it's a mess, folks. Well. We would like to thank James Mannheim for engineering this evening, also known as Tex. You can hear him frequently either on the Polka Show or the Down Home Show or the Bill Monroe for Breakfast Show. He's a jack-of-all-trades down here at uh, this fine station, WCBN-FM Ann Arbor. Don't forget also that uh, EdgeFest is uh, in town this week. That's uh, avant-garde jazz in Carytown. Uh, starting Wednesday. There you go. Well, Yazoo City Calling is coming up next on this fine station, so do stay tuned.
I repeat myself when under stress. So 